somehow it's presidential election season again, and um, the Democrats have already 21 candidates. At least I think that's correct, because that was probably news from four days ago. It could be five more candidates by now. I haven't checked. If you're into political theater, it's a great place to live, Iowa City. You could probably go every week to visit some candidate and hear them give some, some stump speech about what's going on. And of course, as with every politician, and uh, my father was a politician, I know what, how this goes, uh, lots of promises will be made. Lots of very loud and big promises will be made by all these different candidates about how they will change the country for good. They will seem confident because they must. That's what you're supposed to do when you are on a job interview. But inevitably, right, when politicians get elected, at some point they won't deliver. And there'll be disappointment and disillusionment. And, you know, for us, the voting public, it's easy if we feel disappointed and disillusioned just to move on to the next politician with their grand promises um, and hope that maybe this time they will deliver. Now, it's easy to do that with politicians because they're not really a part of our life. They're not really in relationship with us. But, you know, when it comes to people in our lives, if we make grand promises or they make grand promises to us and they or we don't deliver, then there's a break in that relationship in some ways. Sadly, sometimes we treat our friends and family a lot like we treat our politicians. We just kind of move on when that kind of disappointment or disillusionment happens. But here's the thing. When great promises are made and not delivered on, it does take in some sense, a greater restoration for that relationship to be made right again, for that relationship to move forward. And what we see in today's passage is Peter is being restored by Jesus so that Peter can be used for God's kingdom, for Jesus' purposes. And I hope that today we'll see this, that we are to follow Jesus in humble obedience, for he's graciously restored the broken to himself, and for his purposes, that we can follow Jesus in humble obedience because he's graciously restored the broken to himself and for his purposes. So a little bit of context for this passage that you heard Janet read just a little bit ago. We already know Jesus is raised from the dead. He's He's revealed himself to many of his disciples to prove that he has resurrected from the dead, that he's not a ghost, that there was no hoax, that he indeed has a physical body, but a new spiritual body at the same time, and that he's, as we explored last week, revealed himself to Thomas, who specifically had doubts about the reality of Christ's resurrection. And so we continue on uh, to John chapter 21, where we're at right now. Jesus, again, has he's already revealed himself to have raised from the dead, to have defeated the power of sin and death. And so the question really now for the disciples is, now What? And in John 21, we see it's a, it's a literary unit. It holds together. And we're kind of focusing in on this uh, interaction that Peter uh, and Jesus have. And so in the initial part of John 21, we see Jesus, uh, we see the disciples there, they're fishing, right? And many of them were fishermen. It's as if they, you know, Jesus has revealed himself. And they're like, oh, wow, Jesus is raised from the dead. Now what do we do? And they don't really know what to do with themselves, so it's like, well, let's just go fish because we don't know what else to do and we got to eat anyway. And so they're fishing, and Jesus essentially shows up on their boat 
uh, tells them, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, not great. And he said, well, fish on the other side of the boat. Now, you have to remember, like, this is their area of expertise. Imagine if Jesus came to your research lab, came to your law firm, came to your classroom and was like, no, don't do it that way. Do it this way. I think automatically, in a human sense, you'd be a little bit offended. Like, Jesus, stick to your spiritual stuff. Like, I'll do the research. But, you know, they, they listen and they, they throw their net over to the other side of the boat and they catch many, many fish, so many fish that they can barely pull the net up. Um, so many fish that they feared that the net would break and yet it didn't. And the, the simple message that Jesus was teaching them was that they needed to humbly, uh, dependently rely upon Jesus in order for there to be fruit in the ministry that Jesus was calling them to. Now, in the second half of John 21, we see this interaction that Peter and Jesus have, and the focus is on Peter. Now, you have to remember, and you probably do remember well, that Peter has boldly claimed uh, previously in the gospel that he will be faithful to Jesus no matter what, even to the point of death. Every one of the gospels has recorded for us that Peter has made such a claim that he will be faithful even to the point of death. And yet... We see what happened was that Peter was asked, as Jesus was about to go to the cross, whether he knew Jesus. And three times, Peter denies even knowing Jesus at all. And we remember these words he spoke to Jesus specifically. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now just try for a moment to imagine being Peter in this post-resurrection time. All the other disciples know about your denial of Jesus, despite your bold claims that you would never deny Jesus even to the point of death. And what you've proven is that when the tough gets going, you rather save your own hide than stick your neck out for Jesus. All of your loud and arrogant proclamations of how you'd be faithful to Jesus have proven to be a farce. And you still have to hang out with these other disciples whom you've made these kind of claims to Jesus in front of. Maybe some of the disciples even thought, well, I'm kind of glad loud and arrogant Peter kind of got put in his place after all of this bluster that he has. Maybe you're wondering as Peter... This name that Jesus gave you, Cephas, which means the rock. Maybe it's just not true that you can't be the rock. You're no rock. You're no Dwayne Johnson. You're like tiny Kevin Hart, right? How can Jesus possibly build the church upon you? Imagine the shame he felt. Imagine the humiliation he felt with everyone knowing how he had failed Jesus in that moment of trial. No doubt Peter himself felt like he let down Jesus. No doubt he felt like he had let down himself, that he couldn't be a man of his word, that he couldn't live up to what he felt so strongly that he could do, that he could, in his loyalty and attachment to Jesus, stand up for the name of Jesus. And I want you to notice as we look into this passage how Jesus does not refer to Peter as Peter or Cephas, but simply refers to Peter by his birth name, Simon. I won't reread the section, um, verses 
15 to 17, but let's talk a little bit about it, just the, the setting. This is just a little bit, a little um, detail that is easy to miss, but in verse 9, we note that this conversation that Jesus is having with Peter and some of the other disciples, including John, is set around a charcoal fire right after they had caught some fish. The only other charcoal fire conversation that happens in the Gospel of John is when Peter was around a fire denying that he knew Jesus. John wants us to compare these two conversations around a fire. One of Peter denying Jesus and one of Jesus restoring Peter to himself. Then in verse 15, Jesus asked Peter this, Do you love me more than these? So the question here is, what does these refer to? And there's arguments about this, but... I think it, it, just from the context of scripture and this gospel itself, that these refers to these other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Jesus is referring back again to Peter's bold claims that even if everyone else stops loving you, Jesus, and abandons you, I will not. And so Jesus very pointedly asked, do you love me more than these? Now, if you've heard enough sermons in your life, you mostly, most likely would have heard the sermon about how in the Greek word, there's three words for love. There's agape, there's philio, there's eros. Agape means unconditional or divine love. Philio means friendship, human love. And eros means erotic love. And, you know, we get a range of meanings for any word, Greek word in the Bible, both from how it's used in Scripture, but also how it's used outside of Scripture. And so we kind of get a sense of what this words mean based on evidence inside and outside of scripture. Um, and so certainly the Greek word for love, there is three, three, three Greek words for love and can be used in different ways. And I think that um, the distinction is true between these three uses of love in Greek, and yet it's probably overemphasized in sermons by pastors, and probably I'm guilty of this as well. And as I study this, uh, realize that. The distinction is true, and yet when we look at these words, particularly in this passage of um, agapeo and filio, or philia specifically, we see that they, they're not exactly always used in that way. For instance, the Greek word for agapao and philia is used, both of those words are used to describe the Heavenly Father's love for the Son. And so, okay, that kind of doesn't fit with what we were told about how agape is just God's love and unconditional love. Or agapao is also used as a word for false love, as in love for the world. And so again, that doesn't fit neatly into our categories. But when we look at the Gospel of John, we can still see that there is a difference between these two words, agapao and philia. They're not just completely synonymous and interchangeable with each other, as, as some commentators do believe. Because John, when he uses agapao, he does tend to use it more to describe God's love, a divine love, an unconditional love. And that philia is used more to describe a human love. So given that, when we read this text, we hear these three questions asked by Jesus of, of Simon. It's as if we could say it this way. Simon, do you love me with God's love? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a human love. So this is the, the, the different Greek words are used in this text. Again, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me with God's love, agapao? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you with human love, phileo. Simon, do you love me with a human love, philia? Jesus changes it on the last time he asks. 
And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you with a human love, with philia. I think what we're supposed to draw from Jesus asking, do you love me with agapao love the first two times and then philia love the third time, is we're supposed to see that there's a change in Peter from this loud, brash, arrogant, confident apostle to one who'd been humbled by his own failure. And that the difference in this use between agapao and philia indicates, again, this newfound humility that Peter had found. Jesus asked him, do you love me with this unconditional love of God? Peter, in this humbled state of having just failed Jesus, says, no, I, 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 yes, I love you, Lord, but I love you with this flawed human love, not with this unconditional love. Jesus asks again, do you love me with this unconditional love? Lord, yes, I do love you, but I don't feel so good about claiming that I'm going to love you unconditionally because I know I failed. He wants to say, Lord, I do love you, but I know I'm flawed. I know I'm human. I know that I failed you. He has been humbled in his love for God. He has seen that he can't so confidently say he's never going to abandon Jesus. And so he says, sincerely, Lord, I love you, but I know it is flawed. And Jesus, in his last question, saying, do you love me with a filial love? He's coming down to Peter, coming down to Peter's level to say, I hear you. I recognize the love that you are offering sincerely. And he's accepting what Peter says. We see, though, of course, that this question asked by Jesus three times still grieves Peter, right? The passage tells us that. Jesus' question asked three times reminds Peter of how he's failed his Lord. It makes him grieve over the way he abandoned the Lord, the way he, he uh, perhaps even Jesus feels like he had, he, that Jesus doesn't believe that Peter actually loves him. And even in the way Peter responds to his third, Jesus' third question, he might be saying, you are God. You know everything. You know me personally, and you know that I love you, even if it's a flawed love. And yet he's grieved. And Jesus' purpose, right, is to reinstate, to restore Peter into relationship with him and reinstate him into ministry for God's purposes. And he answers Peter's question each time, with a very similar phrase, but also slightly different. Feed my lambs the first time. He says, tend my sheep, he says the second time. Feed my sheep the third time. So again, we hear this. Jesus is saying, I've called you to myself for a reason. I've called you for a purpose of being a shepherd to the church. Upon you, Peter, the church will be built. And he's restoring Peter, not only again to relationship, but to recognize the lordship of Jesus and recognize the purpose through which Peter has um, in Jesus. Jesus wants to use Peter to shepherd the sheep, to share the gospel of Jesus, to grow the kingdom of God. And yet he's reminding him at the core of what he's being called to do is to be a shepherd just as Jesus is the good shepherd. A shepherd who tends to the broken. A shepherd who seeks out the lost. A shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep even.
Now, none of us are the Apostle Peter. Jesus is not saying, upon the rock of Didi will the church be built, or any one of us in here. The Apostle Peter has a special place in biblical history and in scripture, and yet, at the same time, the call of Jesus upon our lives is really not that different from Peter's. Jesus has also graciously restored us broken people to himself and for his purposes. And he calls us to follow him in humble obedience. And Jesus tells us, all of us in this room, that the world will know him through us, through the church, through our love for God, through our love for one another, through our love for this world by serving this world. We have been entrusted with this message of forgiveness as we talked about last week. And so in this passage, Jesus asks us to see ourselves in Peter's failure and his restoration again and again and again throughout our lives. How would you respond if Jesus appeared to you and asked you the question, do you love me? Kathy, do you love me? Carrie, do you love me? Larissa, do you love me? Andrew, do you love me? Theo, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I speak for myself. Jesus appeared to me and said to me three times, Didi, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? His questions would cut to my heart. I would be grieved for the ways I've intentionally and unintentionally denied my Lord. The ways in which I've showed myself to be loyal to other things rather than Him. The ways in which I have chosen to walk in my own ways rather than in His ways. The ways in which I've, I've chosen and showed that my loud claims of faith in Christ are sometimes hollow. I imagine that Jesus' question for many of you as well, if He asked you, Three times over, do you love me? That you would be cut to the heart as well. But we are to remember, all of us, that Jesus is in the business of graciously restoring the broken to himself and for his purposes. Again and again, he says, you are forgiven at the cross. You are loved because of your oneness with me. You are sent into this world for my purposes. And Jesus is going to drive this home even further with Peter and ask us as well to consider that question. Verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death he was to glorify God with. And after saying this, he, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Jesus is using this analogy of how you used to dress yourself by yourself and then when you're old, you, some other people have to dress you. He's using this to describe how Peter needs to sacrifice his self-will. And Peter is clearly a person who struggled with self-will, doing his own thing rather than what God called him to. He's saying, Peter, you can no longer just do whatever you want. You need to follow my way. But even more specifically, to be willing 
to the point of death, that he would die as a martyr for the faith. But first, his self-will must die in order to even get to that point where he might die for the faith. Jesus is taking this moment to restore Peter to himself and say, this is my purpose for you. And to ask Peter to submit to his lordship and his purpose. When Jesus says, follow me, it's not, hey, follow my Twitter account and see all the interesting and inane things I have to say. Follow me is, give me your life. Give me your devotion. Give away all of your allegiance to other things and be loyal to me above all things. Follow me is a dying to yourself and trusting that life to the full is really found in Jesus and nothing else. And so I ask you, will you follow Jesus? Will you devote yourself to Jesus? Will you continue to follow Jesus in a way just to say, yeah, Jesus has some interesting things to say. Kind of inspires me every now and then. That's not the call of God. And it's interesting to note that the Gospel of John does not record Jesus saying to Peter in the beginning of the Gospel, does not record Jesus saying to Peter, follow me. It simply records for us that Jesus gave him a new name, Cephas, Peter, the rock. But we do hear in the Gospel of Matthew recorded for us that Jesus said to Simon Peter and his brother, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So when Jesus says, follow me to Peter here in the Gospel of John, it's the first time that it's recorded in the Gospel of John. But it is a a restating of the original call that Jesus had upon Peter's life when he first met him. And yet the emphasis is on this, this decision now that Peter has to make in his faith journey. Will he recommit his life to Jesus And follow Jesus. It's a new beginning for Peter. We talked about this briefly last week about how faith is progressive. And Jesus has revealed to Peter and has given Peter this opportunity in this moment to say, what will you do now, now that I've revealed this to you? Will you follow me to the next level, to the next step? And it's a question mark in that moment, right? Will Peter believe that Jesus really wants to restore Peter to himself? Will Peter believe that Jesus wants to use him to shepherd his sheep and build the church upon him? Will Peter believe that God can use such a loud and arrogant and cowardly purpose, person for his purpose? Will Peter believe that God will use his flawed love in this world? The answer appears to be yes, right? Because Peter does follow Jesus. Yet it's interesting to see that Peter's recommitted and restored faith stumbles again right at the block. His very next words to Jesus is this, verse 21, after he sees John. When Peter saw him, which is John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, What is that to you? You follow me. You have to see the humor in this, right? Jesus just restored Peter after this very dramatic three-time denial, this dramatic question being asked of him three times, do you love me? And Peter seems to be on board, and then, but then it's the first thing is, well, what about this guy? What does he have to do? 
Does he have to do the same thing? Peter might have learned a lot in this brief interaction with Jesus, and yet he still needs to be refined, just like all of us are in the process of being refined and sanctified by Jesus. Right after Jesus says, you're going to have to die for me in your faith at some point. You're going to have to follow me to the point of death. Peter goes back to these prideful comparisons rather than responding to a humble calling from Jesus. He compares himself to John. What about John? Does he have to go through what I have to go through as well? And Jesus is like, don't worry about John. Worry about what I've called you to. You follow me. Don't worry about comparing yourself to anyone else, to anyone's journey, to anyone else's calling. You follow me. Peter needed a reminder for that lesson right away. Follow Jesus in humble obedience because Jesus is the one who graciously restores us to himself and for his purpose. So the question is really this, and this is the question that has resounded in my ears all week long. Do you love me? Not me. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? All of us want to say, yes, Lord, I love you. But what does it really mean? And we know, like Peter, we all fall fall short of loving Jesus in the way that he calls us to. We all know that we are like Peter and that we're worried about what everyone else is doing and how everyone else is walking with the Lord rather than simply responding to the voice of Jesus and his calling and his path for us. And so because of the death of Jesus on the cross, because of his resurrection from the dead, because of our unity with him, we can be confident in God's love for us. And no matter how we fall again and again, no matter how we show our words to be hollow and our love to be shallow, Jesus says, even though you deny me three times or 300 times, I forgive you. I restore you. I send you out again into this world for my purposes. Do not be discouraged. I love you because of what I've done on the cross. And though you may feel like you cannot be used by me, though you may feel like you're a failure, though you may feel like you do not measure up, what about this guy, the one that God loves, the one that Jesus loves? That's what Peter's saying, right? He's comparing himself to the beloved disciple, as John is referred to. Jesus says, don't worry about him. I love you. I've restored you. I've sent you out. May we rest in the truth of God's restoration of us as broken people. May we know that we are restored into relationship with him and that we're sent out into the world for his purposes. Let's pray.